Hello and welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we are continuing our short series here on the topic of gender roles in the church. So last week we were joined by our temporary co-host, uh, Ray Jewell, who is unable to make it this week. But we talked about the issue of egalitarianism. We looked at that, and we talked with Dr. Paul Axton covering that topic. And this week, we're going to be covering the idea of complementarianism, the view that I hold. And so to do that, I've invited uh, Dr. Bruce Ware to come on the program. Dr. Ware is a professor of Christian theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary there in Kentucky, also sits on the council at the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, Dr. Ware, welcome to the Basic Bible Podcast. Thank you, Kevin. It's a delight to be with you. Now, I asked you on the program, because several years ago, I don't know if you remember this or not, uh, you were up in a uh, men's retreat at Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and yes. uh-huh. I believe you're talking about the hypostatic union, or the, the, talking about Jesus being both man and God at the same time. I believe your book had just come out on that topic, uh-huh. and uh, it was right after lunch where we threw in an extra kind of lecture. Uh, I remember people had the choice of either going out and playing sports, whatever, outside, or staying in and listening to this. And it just happened to be raining buckets that day. Uh, And so we had a lot of people, and you talked about this topic here, about complementarianism, and it was just excellent, Uh, very clear. And so uh, it was a blessing to me. It helped uh, solidify a few things in my mind. And so for that reason, I asked you to come on this program and talk about this issue here. So, Dr. Work, can you tell us, what are we talking about when we talk about complementarianism? What is it? Yes. Well, the term really refers to the, the fact that God created human beings as men and women. So even that statement these days is controversial. Right. But it's very clear in Scripture that this is the case. So the man and the woman are complementary. They're not identical, but they are complementary insofar as both have the same human nature. So both are of equal dignity, equal worth and value before God, uh, both equally image of God, and hence uh, both, both equally human. And yet, uh, one is a male human and the other is a female human, and so they're not identical. They, they complement one another. And one of the ways in which you see the complementarity uh, worked out is that God designed from the beginning for there to be a certain authority that resides in the male in the relationship, especially in marriage, as we see in Scripture and in the Church. In those two arenas, we see this clearly taught in Scripture, that the male would have a certain authority and the female submit to that. So equal in essence, and yet there's a distinction in the roles that they they carry out, one, one being given by God, a divinely prescribed authority, and the other one given by God, a divinely prescribed submission to that authority, and and yet uh, and yet equal in every way in terms of their nature before God. Okay, so they are separate, I mean, or, or not identical. Excuse me, they are complementary. So while they are equal in in every way in terms to value, worth, dignity, respect but distinct in the sense that they have different roles. And it seems like the the, the first thing people want to jump on is, well, wait a minute, one is leading the other, or one is in charge of the other. That just doesn't seem right. How can two be equal, yet one is in charge, or one is Mm. taking a leadership role? Right. 
Well, you know, it's, the answer to that really is just it's what the Bible says. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, it, it, we're just really trying to follow carefully what what Scripture indicates, and and this is built into the into the design of God in creation. Hmm. You know, so it wasn't accidental that uh, God created the man first. Right. Uh, evidently, that was on purpose, and part of the purpose was to demonstrate that the man has authority in this relationship, kind of a, a, a position of primogeniture, as it were, that this position of have, having a higher position in authority over the second who was created. And if you think, well, that's really stretching things. Well, the point is that this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, mm. you know, verse 12, after he gives the prohibition in verse 12, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Then he gives as his first reason for that, for it was the man who was created first, and then the woman. So this was not just accidental. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, something fl- flip of the coin. It, it was by divine intent. And, you know, closely, closely related to that is that uh, the woman created second came about from the man. And Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 11, where he's talking about head covering, which is a, a way that the woman shows that she respects the authority of male leadership in the church. A woman should have her head covered, but not a man. Why? Well, Paul says because the, it was not the, the man who came from the woman. Of mm. course, that's how you and I came about. We have mothers, don't we? Right. It was not the man who came from the woman, but the woman from the man. So again, this, this uh, design of God is, is manifest in the very way he created the man and the woman uh, originally, and so there is an equality. You, know, you hear that when, the, uh, when God creates the woman and brings her to the man at the end of Genesis chapter 2, there, Adam says, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, so indeed she has my nature. She's equally human, equally image of God. But, you, you, she, but but still get the point, she is bone of my bone. So here, here the priority there to him, flesh of my flesh. So she comes from him, indicating that his prior place and his authority that is indicated in the way God, God did this. So back in Genesis 2, as, God cre- as we have a little more detail from Genesis 1, God creates yes. the man first, gives the man responsibilities in the garden— and the, even yes. the prohibition not to eat of the tree. And then, yes. in Genesis 2.18, God creates woman as a helper. It's not good for the man to be alone, uh, but he needs a help right. need to, in, in the old King James Version. Mm-hmm. Right. So even, even that part of the story, too, is, is instructive, because it indicates that God created the man and then, and then you know, put him to work as image of God. Image of God... I think refers primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to the the notion of acting on God's behalf or carrying out God's will and purposes um, as those who are under God. So that garden is not Adam's garden, it's God's garden, but but God says to Adam, you cultivate it. Hmm. Uh, those, Those animals are not Adam's animals, they're God's animals, but God says, Adam, you name them. And so Adam is exercising his image of God prerogative and responsibility. And in that context, though, God says to the man, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a a helper suitable for him. And so 
then he creates the woman. So notice then that, that she joins him in carrying out the responsibilities that are given to him. Hmm. So as assistant to him, helper to him. But again, the fact that God created the man first indicates he's the one who takes the lead in this relationship, and she comes to assist in the work that God called him to do. Okay, so in regards to the church, I mean, the, the yeah. passage to look at is, is in Second Timothy 2. And it, it's, it's pretty, it seems to me pretty clear how God delineates the, the roles here of man and woman in terms of, of responsibility. And I think I said, did I say Second Timothy? I meant to say First yeah, Timothy. Yeah, first, <laughs> first Timothy, right. Okay, uh-huh. so, you know, this is two weeks in a row where I've had an eminent scholar, and I've just messed up a really basic uh, thing. Hey, but anyway. We all do. <laughs> I, I do every day, so no, no big deal. All right, so I want to read from First uh, Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to begin here in uh, verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with that which is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a man, let excuse me, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So here, as you alluded to earlier, Paul is not just saying this is a new thing that I'm, I'm ordaining here, or this is just a reaction to some problems that may be going on in Ephesus where Timothy's at. But I'm going back to creation and saying women should not have a teaching role in the church and goes back to Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 to make that claim. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it is, it, you know, the egalitarian argument that evidently you covered last week uh, would want to, in a way, dismiss this text in terms of any kind of application to us today by saying that this is a problem that was occurring in the Church of Ephesus. The, the problem with that view is, number one, there's no evidence for that. It's just pure speculation. And number two, the, the more important response is, but look at what Paul gives as his justification for the prohibition. Hmm. He goes back to creation, and he gives three arguments in verses 13, 14, and 15, all of which take you back to Genesis 2 and 3. And uh, so I think it's, it's clear that this is meant to be a general statement that applies to all churches, because it's rooted in the way God designed men and women in creation. Now, I'm curious, you know, we haven't talked about gender roles in the home, but Ephesians 5 uh, establishes yeah. the man as the head of the household. Does that mirror what takes place in the church? Is there a connection between home and church? Yes, there there is. Uh, and, I mean, we know for sure these are the two arenas, the only two arenas, that uh, the Bible specifically says these role relationships are to be carried out. So it doesn't. I mean, you can you can cer- you can certainly draw inferences, but I think we need to be careful about this hmm. uh, in terms of women's uh, leadership in business or in politics or in education, other areas like that. Um, but uh, specifically, we do know that home and church are stated in Scripture, and I think there's a, a connection in terms of of uh, spiritual leadership. Uh, so, so the man is to have 
the primary spiritual leadership in the home. Uh, and, and likewise, the only qualified men should have primary leaders, spiritual leadership in the church as elders. And uh, uh, by, by the way, one evidence of that on the first point of the home is that in Ephesians 6, after Paul says that children are to obey their parents, so you've got mom and dad together, uh, and then he goes back to Exodus 20, uh, they are to honor their father and mother, so there they are again together. But then in verse 4, the next thing he says is, is fathers do not exasperate your children, but raise mm. them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So it has this sense that the buck stops here. You know, the, the dad in the home will bear before God, you know, in the day of judgment, uh, an accountability for his role in providing for the spiritual nurture of those children in a way that his wife will not give an account uh, equally. Uh, he, he bears the primary responsibility in this. And uh, I just think a lot of uh, Christian fathers out there don't know this, don't, don't realize this really is given to them. And uh, yes, their wives assist in so many ways. I mean, mine, mine certainly did, uh, hugely. Uh, we homeschooled for a number of years, and and goodness, they memorized a lot of scripture and, and uh, hymns of the faith. I, I love that assignment. You know, they memorized all 18 verses of a hymn or something. You know, but in any case, I, I was the one who, who felt the weight of making sure and my, my spending time with them, you know, cultivating their faith. So in those two arenas, and I think the commonality is that spiritual oversight, spiritual leadership. I'm a little con confused. I, I thought you were a Baptist, but you're memorizing all the verses of a particular hymn. I, I'm, that throws me <laughs> off a little bit. Yeah. But, all right, well, let me ask you that. You've written a lot on this topic. Uh, not only is these roles grounded in creation, but in the Trinity, in our triune God. How, how does the Trinity play a factor yeah. in all of this? Well, I, I'll, I'll express the view I hold. I, I just need people to understand this is not held by everyone today. It, right. It's an area of controversy, but it is something that I think is pretty clear in Scripture, and that is that actually the design that God had of the man and the woman being equal in nature, but distinct in roles, including the expression of authority and submission within that relationship, really does reflect the Trinity. And so what you see with with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is God is always God, God the Father is always the Father, and as Father, He's the one who has highest authority uh, within the Trinity. I mean, you never find in the Bible the Son sending and the Father going, or the Son commanding and the Father obeying. It's always in the direction of the Father having the authority to send the Son, and the Father commanding and the Son obeying the Father's command, and so on. And, uh, and I, I just take what we see in Scripture as indicating who God is. I mean, goodness, the alternative is to say, you mean this isn't really the revelation of God? I mean, I just find that staggering. Mm. So if this truly is God, as we see in Father, Son, and Spirit, it's just amazing then that he creates us then in his image, reflecting that same reality of equality in essence, as man and woman are created in the image of God, equally uh, human and of equal dignity and worth, but then distinct in roles that are carried out uh, as these are expressed, especially in Genesis 2, we see this is in marriage, 
uh, as God creates this woman to be the man's wife, and then in time will be expressed in the in the believing community as well. So yes, I, I do believe there is an expression in the Trinity that uh, that then gives rise to, by God's design, uh, the reflection of that in male-female relationships in the home and the church. Let's talk about some other controversies here, or mainly objections, because the, the main objection to this I've heard is, well, isn't this just domineering? How, how do you avoid that? Well, isn't this just men telling women what to do, and it becomes oppressive? Yeah, you know, I, I, there's just a lot of ways to answer this. The, the one that comes first to my mind is to direct people to First Peter 3, 7, where, you know, this is in a context where Peter has just spent the first six verses of this chapter instructing wives to submit to their husbands. It's the longest section in the New Testament on uh, developing how that submission should look. But then in verse 7, he says to the husbands that they need to live with their wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. And then listen to this, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, lest your prayers not be heard. So it is really sobering, you know, to re- this is what God thinks of a man who considers his role of authority as one which means he can use her for his self-serving purposes. Uh, he, he can mistreat her or not not live with her in a respectful way. Then God's, God's uh, uh, discipline will be upon that man for that. So indeed we are to understand our wives as equal to us before God in every way. I think Galatians 3, uh, sorry, Galatians 3.28, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male and female, uh, really does pertain on this point, that uh, women share with men in Christ all, all the riches of Christ. And we are to understand them as equals, as sisters in Christ, as those who share with us all of the benefits of God's grace manifest in Christ. And so be respectful and kind and generous in our treatment uh, of them and attitudes toward them. So it's just the opposite, really, of uh, a kind of domineering and uh, certainly, certainly totally opposite of an abusive kind of understanding of men and women's relationships. I remember a, a few years ago, I was working a temp job, and I was at my little cubicle, and people at, at, at I say a couple of years ago, it's, it's been a long time since I've been in college, but I was in Bible college, and a group of women had, had this little Bible study they were doing, and they found out that I was uh, studying to be uh, a pastor at that time. And so I remember one day, I, I turned around from my cubicle right at lunchtime, and surrounding me was this group of women, and demanded that I tell them my thoughts on this topic. It was kind oh of a scary my. situation, and I, I tried to, from the, from the best of my ability, to to articulate that thought. The one objection they had, and I'm going to raise this with you: Why can't a woman preach just as well as a man? Why can't the women exposit the scriptures and and study the Greek and Hebrew and and learn the gist mm-hmm. of the passage just as well as any man could? Right. Well, it's interesting. I I, I do think there are um, a number of women who do have that capability to preach as good as a man can, and certainly they have a mind and desires to study Scripture that would enable them to be as good as any man would in that task. But that's really not the point, is it? it it's uh, 
right. the scriptures teaching on the way those gifts are to be used. And if, if God prohibits a particular exercise of that gift, a particular context in which it's used, then we need to honor that. We, we need to, to just bow before the scriptures and say, we'll accept that because this is God's design. God's wise, I'm not. Uh, he, God is God, I'm not. And so we accept his, his will in the matter. So there are other contexts, though, where women can be very effective teachers, very effective in, in unpacking the Word of God in, in contexts of children and women's ministry. But uh, the Bible is clear that in the context of mixed men and women together, uh, they are not to carry that out. You know, it, it's interesting. Paul's prohibition in 1 Timothy 2.12 I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. You know, he could have said, if he was thinking of office only, the office of elder in the church, he could have simply said, I don't allow a woman to be an elder. But he didn't say that. Hmm. He, he focuses on the functions, not the office. Uh, so I, I take it that this means that a you know small group Bible study or uh, a campus Bible study that... Uh, that uh, InterVarsity or crew might have put together, mm. then the same prohibition applies there, where, where it's not the office, but it's the function. So if this is a, a matter of teaching scripture, normative teaching from scripture, to this group of mixed men and women together, then it ought to be a qualified man to do it. Well, and I want to say for the record that these, this group of ladies were very nice to me and very generous toward me, and we got along just fine after that. Good. But for that for that few minutes, it was a little scary. Sure. So in terms of application, what role should we encourage women to play in the church? Yeah, you know, it depends on what local church you're talking about. I think there are some where my encouragement would, would be to do a lot more than they're being allowed around. I mean, there are some churches that don't allow women to pray. In, in public, in, in a public service. And I ask the question, why? What, what, what is violated in Scripture in allowing a woman to pray? Especially in 1 Corinthians 11, where it speaks of women praying in the church. So I, I just think we can, we can over-restrict in ways that really does harm the complementarian cause. But then there are other churches that allow too much so, for example, a mixed Sunday school class with men and women together, I, I, as I just m- mentioned a moment ago, I think First Timothy 2.12 would indicate that in a context like that, it should not be a woman who is the Bible teacher for that class, certainly not preaching on a Sunday morning. You know, there's kind of a new argument that's out that says as long as she does this under the authority of the elders, then it's fine for her to do it. Well, my response to that is, I mean, in terms of like teaching a mixed Sunday school class or preaching on a Sunday morning, my response to that is an elder has no right to permit a woman to do what God uh, prohibits. How, how can they do that rightly? So if God says no, then we say no, you know, <laughs> on it. Uh, but, but when God says uh, yes, then goodness, uh, praying in church distributing the Lord, the, the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. I just see no reason why this, this can't be a woman who does this, uh, as well as a man. So I think we need to be careful not to over-restrict, but on the other hand, I think the climate in our day right now is more in the direction um, of, of wanting to 
you know, kind of break the barriers down and uh, allow women to do just anything, really, in the church. And uh, that's where we just need to bow to the wisdom of God that is greater than ours. So what are some resources you'd recommend for someone who wants to dig a little deeper into this topic? I mean, we've just, we've barely even cracked the surface here. So are there, are there right. books or resources you'd, you'd recommend we study out? Yes, well, you know, I think that the, the person who has done the most to benefit the evangelical cause of complementarianism is Wayne Grudem, right. who was a dear friend of mine as well. I love Wayne. He's just a very godly man, and uh, I, I love and respect him. And he's written so many things. If you go onto Amazon uh, and you know put put his name in there, you'll find a lot of things. He he's uh, got a, a book that deals with all kinds of objections that are raised uh, to the complementarian view and answers them one by one. Mm. And uh, he has a book that talks about the, the fact that egalitarianism has, has been proven in history to, to often lead to other departures from biblical fidelity. I mean, it's no accident that churches today, denominations today, that are arguing for the legitimacy of homosexual ordination are the ones 30 years ago that argued for the legitimacy of mm. the ordination of women. And uh, so I think Wayne, Wayne Grudem's book is, books are really helpful. Uh, also, there's a book particularly on 1 Timothy 2, um, edited by Tom Schreiner and a few others, uh, w- Women in the, what is it called now? Women in the New Testament. I may have that title wrong. I'm, you know, my memory on <laughs> book titles is just horrible. But well, anyway, we'll have the exact title uh, on our website by, this, by the time okay. this is uh, posted. And there's a third, a third edition of that book that has just come out. Um, and it's uh, it's really well done, de- dealing with so many of the exegetical and practical questions mm-hmm. that come from First Timothy two. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Well, I want to recommend uh, there's a little little book by John Piper. What's the difference? I believe that's taken from the book he he wrote with uh, with Grudem, Recovering yes. Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, that's a real a real simple read, real short read, but really covers yeah. these issues. And we're also going to recommend your article on the uh, the website for the council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Summaries of the Egalitarian Complementarian Positions. Um, right. And we'll cover that. And, and just a couple other books I want to recommend that have nothing to do with what we're talking about but are, are written by you. The Man Christ Jesus, Theological Reflections on the Humanity of Christ is a really great read. I believe it, it was a blessing to me. And uh, also uh, a book that I use, I, I teach high school, senior level uh, systematic theology, and one of the books I use actually to supplement the material we use from, from, from Wayne Grudem, Big Truths for Young Hearts, Teaching and Learning mm. the Greatness of God. And I use that with my children as well in our devotional mm. time. It's been a big blessing to me. And uh, it, that's been, I think it's a, a great blessing to a lot of people. Here we have a systematic theologian who's getting it on a level that, that children can understand, and it, it's mm. a great blessing. Mm. Well, thank you, Kevin, very much. Well, thank you, Dr. Weir, for joining us, and I hope you'll come back sometime. Maybe we can talk about the hypostatic union or talk about the Trinity. Movement. All right. But thank you so much right. for, for giving us this time. Well, thank you for your, your ministry and, uh, and for the privilege of being on with you. And thank you all for listening. And don't forget, next week we're going to conclude this series. Ray and I are going to hash it out here uh, on our different perspectives. We'll talk about where we disagree and where we agree and where we can move forward if we even can. So you won't want to miss that. So don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. And you can check us out on Twitter at basic. Biblecast, also on Instagram, so share this with your friends. 
Until next week, have a great rest of your week.